Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to The Midpoint with me, Gabby Logan. Today I bring you the last of our summer specials where we cherry pick the best bits from our archive. Some episodes you might have missed and some you might like to be reminded of. This week we're focusing on something that impacts almost all of us in midlife, the menopause. Obviously this has a far greater impact on female midlifers, but surely every man in the world lives with, works with or socialises with a woman somewhere. So there are learnings here for everyone. Once I started learning more about the wide-ranging symptoms of the menopause and then started talking about them with other women around my age, the physical effects didn't disappear, of course they didn't, but they were much easier to cope with. I understood what was happening to my body and I felt less alone. It's a similar story for journalist and writer Lorraine Candy, who, like me, is on a mission to dispel any shame associated with the menopause after her experiences. I started to kind of unravel I guess you would say, when I was in my uh, late 40s. And it was really unexpected. It was a complete surprise. It was a physical and emotional unravelling. And, you know, lots of things are going on, aren't they, in the midpoint, as as you often mm. say. Your children are getting older, they're teenagers, they're about to leave home. Your work circumstances are beginning to change because careers change and everything changes at that stage. And it sort of coincided with what, in retrospect, I found out was the... Um, perimenopause which I I mean you know I've edited these big magazines and done all this journalism on health and women's health and this thing was just a complete surprise and it ambushed me and I think I felt I had to write about that because of the the kind of generic women that had been around me you know I've been writing for them for so long since I edited Cosmo and telling them all these things and doing all these campaigns about date rape drugs about feminism about women's rights and yet at no point had anyone told me or I'd, I'd noticed or found or asked that this thing was coming at me and it just felt very unfair not to share it so as you do as well on this podcast I just felt we had to share it for the generation behind us and I was a little bit cross the generation in front of us hadn't mentioned it (laughs) (laughs) well let's wind back to that because you mentioned Cosmopolitan magazine and it's kind of uber editor Marcel Daji Smith uh, back in the day was very famous for wanting to write about women's sex lives and this was seen as enormously liberating I think I was a teenager when she was at the helm and uh, I remember when I was at university I wrote off and won a competition to be a student ambassador for Cosmopolitan magazine and it seemed like this Mm. really incredibly glamorous place where women's issues were going to be at the forefront but as you say <laughs> up to a point yeah. there was a there was a there was a line in the sand that seemed to have been drawn an imaginary line in the sand across all magazines and all uh, outlets because I'm sure in the other places you you worked this was not something that was uh, top of the well, agenda it wasn't top of the agenda on the Sunday Times when I was there three years ago launching a podcast about it so it's kind of you know it's 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 this thing that women seem to be ashamed of And this, I mean, dare I say it, patriarchal attitude to us not being worth as much as we age. And then 
there are no role models, so we start to feel invisible, and we're just that we're just not there in society anymore. Thankfully, we we are a bit more now. But it was something that just you know it wasn't going to sell magazines talking about the menopause, perimenopause. It, it it wasn't. Women didn't want to read it. Men didn't want to read it. And we were kind of working. Also, you know, sex and power is how you get attention, isn't it? In um, you know, in publishing, that those stories get attention. Those stories sell. It just wasn't talked about because it was affecting the power structure and the, you know, if you're going to talk about sex, you have to talk about younger women and sex. You have to talk about sexuality within a relationship. And, you know, I think as a generation as well, Gen X, we had such ridiculous stuff happening. And, you know, we had the Ladek culture. We'd grown up in the 70s with Benny Hill. You know, we were still a, a generation where nurses' outfits were Halloween outfits. I mean, how ridiculous is that? There was so much coming at us. And we were working within a system which was set up predominantly by men which didn't really work for us so we were trying to fit in in a place that didn't work and you know in a way I look back and think what well, I should have been more questioning I should have thought that through a bit more and you know asked about the women ahead of us but then you know I've interviewed women in their 60s for the book you know women like Ruby Wax who said to me do you know it's like childbirth isn't it if someone says it's incredibly painful and they tell you the absolute details of it you still go ahead and do it so it's you know perhaps we wouldn't have listened anyway but it's been so fascinating unpicking all of this for this generation and I'm just really hopeful that the next generation you know there are you know stuff is more important to them and they get the information they need. You talk about the creeping sadness that happened, <laughs> um, which I I really recognise as, as somebody as you appear to be that was jolly and found you know a lot of positives in life. This came as a massive shock. I think I had depression. I think that's what I had, and I had. Um, it was such a surprise to feel that there was really no point in anything and to feel, you know, even darken that on some days. And I was having, um, for the first time ever, I had a panic attack on my, at the front door as I was leaving for work. I just, you know, the floor started to move. I couldn't breathe. Was, I felt this huge darkness coming towards me. And I checked within the family because I'd had other physical symptoms as if if there had been any mental illness, whether there were any issues I should know about. And there, there wasn't. And I'd never felt it before. And I went to the doctor twice to talk about why I felt so god awful and why I was waking up. I was waking up in the night, not just with night sweats, but I was the gloom was just horrendous. And I was having these terrible, terrible, well, I guess you'd call them night terrors where I was just, it was just horrific. And I was waking up screaming, which was so out of character <laughs> and so, so odd. What did you, what did you put it down to? Exhaustion. I just, I was writing a book. I was editing a weekly magazine. I had four children. They were getting older. I thought I was just doing so much. I, my brain had probably broken or I had a tumour, brain tumour of some sort, because the other thing, I was completely forgetting great big chunks of things. So I would... I got in the car one morning and I, I started the car, drove off, and I couldn't work out which side of the road I, I was needing. I, I, there were no, nothing else was around, and I thought, I don't know which side of the road I should be on. And at that point, I thought, this is really frightening mm. because it's not that you just can't remember. It's not like you've misplaced a surname or you can't remember the word for something. Mm. It's like a chunk of your brain is shut down. And I thought, well, this is dementia. This is something. And that's what... But the, the depression, I think, was the worst. And I think when you don't sleep as well, it just makes it worse. It's a spiralling thing. And I thought this exhaustion, this tumour or whatever is is making me depressed. And, you know, I was offered antidepressants twice by uh, doctors. And I just it just instinctively didn't feel right to me. I didn't think that would make, 
you know, there's always a debate at the moment, isn't there, that, you know, when, when women are on hormone replacement therapy, as I, I am, and which kind of cured me, and I was very lucky it did, you know, we're medicalizing this part of a woman's natural life. But, you know, we've always medicalized what women need. You know, you can't go through childbirth without being medicalized. But two thirds of GPs, I found out from a, a very recent survey three years ago, routinely prescribe antidepressants wrongly when they should be prescribing hormone replacement therapy. And it struck me that we've been medicalized. There's whole groups of women being medicalized through this part of their life when some of them, yes, they may need antidepressants. They really may, and it may work for them or it may move them forward. But I didn't need that at the time. I needed this darkness to go, this creeping sadness. And it does sort of creep into your life. You just can't see the point of it. Mm. And and you obviously, you know, Dr. Louise Newsom very well. You speak about her in the book and she um, would also say, as any of uh, the, the, the great women and men who work in this field would say, it's not just uh, the symptom of the sadness and feeling low that hormone replacement therapy can help. There's so many other things that we, we can be helped with as women in terms of osteoporosis prevention and heart health. There's so many other things. And this, this podcast and yours have, have looked into that a lot. So hopefully anybody listening who for the first time is thinking about it can can go and look at those resources and you talked about how at the beginning you were just getting up earlier yeah. to get all those jobs done all right I, I must I need yes. more time in the day I'll get up all right a big list, my list. <laughs> yeah, and I recognize that because so, you think I must be able to cram I actually said it to my husband last night and, and not because I've just got lots on at the moment I said I think I'm gonna have to start getting up at five well it's <laughs> madness six is yeah, not doing it's it really, <laughs> yeah. it's madness you, you write this great big list and um We've we have a private Facebook group with with the people from our podcast, and they a lady had put up this kind of picture of her wall of all these post its on it of all the stuff she was forgetting, and she was like us. We were getting up so early, I was getting up so early to try and get this stuff done because it was taking me longer, and I couldn't remember it, and I was trying to figure it all out. And I think what I wanted to get across in the book is this emotional side of what women are going through because you know Louise Newsom's book is brilliant on the practical side and there's lots of practical books out there but when you forget which side of the road to drive on you just think you're a moron and you just look at you come home and you think I can't remember if I've fed the dog I can't you know you find your keys in the fridge you you boil some eggs for breakfast and they're not in the pan and you think well have they dissolved what's how you you start to think you're slowly going mad and that really really undermines you and that was a bit I found a bit unforgivable with the medical profession and the kind of gaslighting that goes on I just thought there's a whole mm. army of us thinking slowly and being really ashamed of ourselves for going mad for being competent and then gradually be becoming incompetent more than competent i mean you're editing national <laughs> magazine <laughs> magazines and and running a household so you go from mm. high performance to feeling like simple tasks are beyond and, yeah and i think this shame is a terrible thing to carry around I just don't think any woman should have to deal with that for any length of time. It's a really horrible feeling to have inside you. We, I interviewed a woman for the book who had been one of the uh, first pilots of um, long-haul aircrafts, and she'd be one of the first female pilots. And uh, she, her, her perimenopause, she couldn't park a car. And when someone had asked her what, what she used to do because she'd retired, she said, I couldn't tell them because I think I was such an idiot. 
because I'm so incompetent now. And, you know, and it was some, you know, what she was going through was easily cured by hormone replacement therapy. So I just, this shame, I just felt it's not fair for women to, to have that. And then you all, you feel like you're doing it on your own. You just think, I'm just slowly, gradually going mad. You know, I found a cucumber in the airing cupboard and I thought, what's that doing there? How, why did I put that there? And you just think, what an idiot. And yet when my teenage son put yeah, about what? 20 quid's worth of frozen prawns into the bread bin, that's fine. Um, that's fine. <laughs> Someone who also struggled cognitively throughout the menopause is TV presenter Davina McCall. She was on the podcast back in January 2021, before she'd made her powerful documentary on the menopause, which you can still watch now on Channel 4. I, I don't know about you, but on a week, I mean, I'm on HRT, right? So I have absolutely no excuse to be going do lally, but I'm still going do lally on the HRT. I am less angry. I don't get night sweats. I don't get hot flushes. These are the things that have gone. My joints feel okay. My bones feel lubricated and strong. But my memory, and like you, Gabby, I work. I've got kids. I have a partner. Um, life is very busy and chaotic. And you have to know a lot of stuff in your business about sort of everything and I do lots of different jobs. So I have a hundred different hats on. So uh, I could be going from long lost family one day to the mass singer the next, to a Garnier job, to something else. And I'm learning different things for everything. And my brain sometimes, because um, when I went to my doctor and I said, look, please help me. I think I've got Alzheimer's because obviously my dad's got Alzheimer's. And I was like, I'm always paranoid. I know I haven't really, but yeah. I'm like, am I okay to her? She said, it's called cognitive overload. And at our stage in life, you know, often our kids are all older. We thought it was going to get easier. It does not. No, it's, the, it's the most no. challenging period of parenting ever, isn't it? Oh, how old are yours now? 15. 15, you know, is not old enough to drive. I am useful. Dav's cab. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm Dav's cabs at the weekend. I'm just driving all over the country. So it is full on. Anyway, this morning I was filming a YouTube clip. And uh, I've started a YouTube channel, which is one of my greatest joys for women our age. Is this Own Your Goals? No. No? No. Nothing to do you, with that. This is Own Your Goals is um, only online. Um, it's like a website. But um, this is just Davina McCall. I'm doing a YouTube channel. I'm doing like makeup for ladies with lots of skin on the top of their eyes and bits of their face that pull out. I love and, that lots of skin and, on top of your eyes. And, which which you know I mean? bit like, should I put the makeup from? on? Is it that bit? Yes. Or is... And then you, it looks one way when your eyes are like that. But the minute you open your eyes, you're like, where's the makeup gone? It's all gone in the freaking folds. <laughs> like, the, like it's disappeared. And drawing an eyeliner over the top of your eye with all the extra skin. I just want to know before we go, what is the best part about getting older? Basically, I think it's about feeling uh, happier in your own skin. And I'm definitely in a much better place than I was. And watching Jane Fonda last night at 84 makes me think it's only going to get better. Yes, I think that's... And that's what's so great. That is like perfect synergy. If we can stay fit and healthy, our lives are only going to get better. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Back in the autumn of 2021, a fellow sports broadcaster and my good friend Claire Balding was a guest on the podcast. And we spoke to MP Carolyn Harris. Carolyn's own experience of the menopause inspired her to campaign for a change in legislation, specifically when it came to the cost of HRT prescriptions in England. It happened to me when I wasn't a member of parliament. I was actually working in an office and I I'd had a gynecological operation in 2010 and I had literally bled for about three or four months continually. It was just horrendous. If I was to stand up, uh, I, I would be passing out, literally. In the end, I ended up going to see my doctor as an emergency, saying, you know, I, I really don't feel very well. He sent me for a blood test there and then. And by the time I got back into my house, the hospital were phoning and saying, you need to come in now. Went into hospital and they said, I was, oh, you're the woman who's the walking dead. My haemoglobin had gone down to four. I put it down to the fact it was one continuous period. I now know that it was fibroids. I don't really know when I had my last period, but being women, we just carry on and do what we got to do. I had the operation, came out of hospital, and for about four weeks, I could feel myself just dropping and dropping and dropping until eventually the only place I had any sanctuary was actually wearing a, a pink hooded anorak with a hood up. And just sitting there open, nobody looked at me. I couldn't go shopping. I couldn't go out. I couldn't do anything. So I told myself that I was having a nervous breakdown. I'd lost my son in 1989 in a road accident when he was eight. So I think I put everything down to the fact that maybe I hadn't grieved properly and I hadn't taken antidepressants at that time. So maybe it had come back to hit me with a, a force. My doctor responded to what I was telling him and gave me antidepressants. I had cognitive behaviour therapy. And then I went for seven months, gradually climbing back up on the antidepressants. And then in 2015, I got elected. And then I started talking to other women and listening to their stories. And it was a bit like, you're in the menopause, love. You, that's what's wrong with you. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not in grief. Of course I am. I'll always be grieving. But I was in the menopause because then I started putting together the fact that I was tired. I didn't have any mojo. I was aching all over. I couldn't. I couldn't grow my nails. I used to have my nails done every every three weeks because I couldn't grow my nails. They would be horrendous. My hair was getting thinner. I couldn't remember the names of my kids. I was calling, including the cat. I go through a full list before I got to the one I wanted. Low libido. All these things. You know, we, we're intelligent women. If we don't know that we're going through the menopause, then who does know we're going through the menopause? It's a lack of education and, you know, it's just awful that women are suffering literally in ignorance. So you then got yourself onto some kind of hormone rebalancing and things started to improve Yeah, well, I didn't you. do that until this year because I thought I'm 61. I was 60 then. I'm too late for HRT. Why on earth would I go on HRT now? It was only when I spoke to a doctor and the doctor said, if you were a diabetic and you needed insulin, do you stop needing insulin when you reach 60 or do you always need insulin? 
And I thought, yeah, that's right. If I'm lacking these hormones, then I'm not going to just lack them this week or next week. And putting them in this week is not going to make them stay there next week. So I went on HRT and it's the best thing I ever done. So Karen, your experiences informed the passion that you have for this bill. And when I heard you speaking, it was particularly pertaining to women in the workplace, which I think is really important as well, not losing women from you know the mid 40s onwards. So was your motivation for this bill, not just because you wanted more women to have access to it, but also to keep women working, particularly when they're reaching pivotal parts of their careers? Before I lost Martin and up until the time around losing Martin, I was a dinner lady and a barmaid. I could never do those jobs now with the symptoms I've had over the last 10 years. So the very fact I've got a job where I can sit down, I can do it. But if I had to physically do activity, I wouldn't have been able to survive. There are a lot of women out there who are low-income earners. They're on manual jobs or they're working in shops or they're doing stuff which is strenuous. And they are really struggling. And if they're not getting the support in the workplace and, you know, they say they've got a policy, but when you speak to the women on the shop floor or on the factory floor or in the office, they've no idea what so it what is. So what are these What are these women doing, Karen? Are they leaving the jobs? Some of them are having to leave because they just can't keep up with it. Some of them are asking for support. Some of them are being sacked because it's been suggested that they're not any good at their job anymore. They've not been taken into account the fact that they have symptoms. There's been quite a lot of high profile cases recently where women have won discrimination cases for, for being dismissed, going through menopause. They reduce their hours when they can't really afford to. You know, there's so many different situations and there's a lot more women don't realise that they're experiencing this and are struggling in the workplace than have realised what it is and are looking for some kind of justice. That's why we need to literally get this out there into every woman's ears. So tell us what stage the bill's at now and what you're hoping to achieve. I live in Wales. Prescriptions are free, so it's important to to lay that out to Distinguish start Distinguish that, yeah. So I've been wanting to start an APPG, an all-party parliamentary group on menopause, for about two years. We talk about it every International Menopause Day, but we don't actually do anything about it. It's always well supported, but it doesn't go any further. So I wanted to do a group where we'd be cross-party and we could look at all the issues and try to find a way of working with the government, businesses, employers, unions, medical schools, the lot, to see if we can come up with a better plan than we've got now. And everything was going to take longer than a year. So when I got this private member's bill, I needed something that could be done in a year, which was not going to be complicated, that could be done with one government department, but would have a big effect in that it would give attention to the bigger picture. Um, And I was talking to a colleague who said she was going to pick up her HRT and she said it was going to cost her 40 quid. There's two packets, but there's two hormones in each packet. So I'm paying four times. And then it was a light bulb moment. It's only women in England who are paying for HRT. So the aim is to get that yeah. free. At the moment, not enough women are actually getting even access to it, are they? No. And that's because 41% of medical schools don't do anything at all on the menopause when they teach in GPs. And those that do will pay anything between 20 minutes to two to three hours. So, you know, how can you learn about all those symptoms and understand the intricacies of what happens when somebody's going through the menopause to be able to prescribe? A lot of doctors are afraid of HRT. A lot of doctors are not capable of diagnosing the menopause. And they haven't got to be doctors. It can be nurses. 
you know, we could have an army of, of menopause nurses. How many women mm-hmm. have been diagnosed with fibromyalgia, early onset dementia, osteoporosis, depression, anxiety? If we think about the money that's been spent on women repeatedly mm. seeing consultants on different issues, if somebody was to say, well, A and B and C and D could be the menopause. Let's look at that first. I mean, you have to talk about money because that is what so many political decisions will come down to. But also the lives that change, you know, families' lives that change. And you talk about women who are in, you know, very low paid jobs who are vital for their family's functionality and all those things that affect the happiness and health and well-being of a family. And save marriages. You know, the, the, yeah. the thing about the low libido, a lot of marriages and relationships are going to the wall because of the lack of libido and the partner thinking, well, she doesn't love me anymore. You know, she's got someone else. You know, we, we've all heard stories of this. And, and the truth of it is, it could just be the fact that she's lacking those hormones. And, you know, she, life is so much better. I'm embracing my menopause now. And I just wish <sighs> more women would do that. I talk, I talk ad nauseum about it. I, I am determined to get the word vaginal dryness into every conversation. Because <laughs> once you say it, women then say, oh, I know. <sighs> No, do you know, I'm, I, I don't want to disappoint you, but Davina McCall got there before you on this podcast. <laughs> she said it. So um, so you're in good company, Karen, yeah. as you know, because she's obviously produced and and been part of a very powerful documentary, which is, and and you are doing amazing things in part. And as you say, it is cross-party. This is not something that is, you know, going to be the preserve of labour or conservative. No politics is... in women's health. And th- uh, this no. is the thing with the cost for me. You can't put a cost on women's health. You have to do whatever you can to make sure that every woman has the opportunity to continue having an exciting and normal, a normal life. And, and menopause can't be what stops it. Thank you so much. Claire, I know we, we haven't had a little chat ourselves yet, but um, no. she's... Because, Carolyn, I'm one of those women who finds it really awkward to talk about all of this. <laughs> and I um, I'm just so grateful to you because... Women like me who find it all terribly awkward and and literally have got somebody else to buy my Tampax my whole life because I don't (laughs) even like going into a shop to do that and hide it under various things if I have to. I need people like you. So thank (laughs) you, because I would just crack on and pretend it wasn't happening. Well, I'll tell you a funny story, Claire. I remember my mother and her sisters having a conversation about something which was obviously to do with the menopause, sending me out of the room because, you know, Karen shouldn't be listening to this. I was 36. <laughs> it's like, this is, this is, we have done this to ourselves. It is from generation mm-hmm. to generation. We've not talked about it and we've ended up where we are, but I'm changing all that. We've, we've written a letter to the Prime Minister and I'm looking for really prominent, well-known women to sign that letter. So you know what's coming next. Please sign we'll our letter. Get the pens out. We'll get the pens out for you. you. Don't worry. We'll look at Claire. Claire's, Claire's going to write it. We should get somebody else to do it for her. Um, Claire, you're on the top of the list. <laughs> but the, the, but you but actually just you've brought up an inter- important point because yeah, women have kind of done it to ourselves in the sense that we've kept the conversation away. And I think it's really important as well. I don't know what your male colleagues in Parliament are like, but men have to come on board with this because whether you're living with a man, you will have a man somewhere in your life, whether it is a boss or a, a brother or, and they need to kind of know what's happening with women now because they're, they're just as squeamish and, you know, and it's really not that difficult a thing to get your head around. And I think men are are better. I mean, there was a time when we'd have a conversation about periods to get rid of men. Now men are happy (laughs) to talk about periods. And I've not met a man yet who isn't happy to discuss the menopause because they know 
that it affects them. You know, I think they yeah. they're probably better than women in some respect, and that they are they've seen the consequences. And mm. they are they are they willing to talk about it, but then they're not experiencing it. You see, no, no. And as you've said, and I think you know, I've read you say something along the lines of, if they did, then it would be free prescription, and it would have been for the last hundred years, and we'd probably have them in vending machines. Yeah, and we wouldn't have any in children them. in the world. But there we are. <laughs> when this conversation aired, Carolyn's cross-party private members' bill was being read for the second time, and despite Carolyn's optimism, meaningful change took much longer. Thanks to Carolyn's efforts, though, an annual prescription certificate for HRT is now available as of April 2023. Currently, it costs £19.30 and covers an unlimited number of certain HRT medicines for 12 months. Well done, Carolyn. Someone else who benefited from HRT is British TV royalty, Lorraine Kelly. Lorraine spoke to me about how she navigated the menopause whilst also presenting a live TV show every single morning. Gabby, I remember sort of even when we talked about this five, six years ago, it was really hard to get people to talk about it, especially Mm. women in the public eye, because there was this misinformation, misconception that somehow you've got the menopause, all right, you're an old bag, shuffle off, Mm. (laughs) which is like the most ridiculous thing ever in the world. But there was this kind of almost like sense Mm. of shame. Well, also a perception that suddenly you're there for some reason that's connected to your fertility almost. Do you know what I mean? It's like like kind of, you're only in your job because you can breed, uh, which is absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? Which is what you're saying. If you don't, you know, if you actually believe that somehow those women should be redundant in terms of what their usefulness is to society yeah. and to their careers. Um, no, so it is, your, it's your, madness. <laughs> your, your, yeah, and your show has always tackled those tough topics and, you know... We try, think, yeah. yeah. And it's important, it's important. I mean, I do think that with daytime, you know, I know people that don't watch it have got some idea that it's all just fluffy and do, do, French and Saunders did the best takeoff of it, sitting talking about Joan Collins's towels, you know, our fluffy towels. <laughs> I loved it so much. It was great. But unfortunately, there is that misconception. If people don't watch it, they think that. But you think of the sort of topics that we do we do cover. It's everything. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely everything. All human life is there. And we're always trying to take the embarrassment out of things. You know, whether it's um, self-examination. You know, we've had people doing breast examinations, testicular examinations, all that kind of thing, you know, which we should be doing and talking about everything. And But the one thing, the one thing, Gabby, that we got the biggest reaction for was talking about the menopause. It was extraordinary. It was like a torrent. You know, women were saying, and men, men were saying it too. They were saying, thank God you've done this because my partner is now going away and got help, you know, whether it's HRT mm. or whatever. And now I've got her, because that's what my husband said about me, you know, once I went on HRT, he said, I've got you back. Mm. It was like, and where did you go? He, how was he during that time in terms of us? He didn't know what a... to do with himself. He didn't know what to no. do with me. He was like, you know, and he was, and he said, we've all, the one thing we've always been able to do is talk to one another. Mm. And he just, he said, I saw you disappearing down a black hole and I didn't know what to do. And it was him who said, for goodness sake, you have to get help, which is why the next day I basically just said, Dr. Hilary Jones, poor Dr. Hilary. There's a queue every morning of people saying, I've got a sore bum, I've got a sore elbow, uh, you know, whatever. Um, and I just went to him and chatted about it and he, he listened to my symptoms and he said, you're menopausal, you're silly women <laughs> this yeah, is what it's all know, about how you know, brilliant it took him, he, I know. he was there because not all doctors would necessarily and so no, but you see know. this is the thing isn't it so many doctors as we know you present with symptoms and they go ah okay that's anxiety and depression here's a wee pill now obviously if you have got it's not just hormonal and you have anxiety and depression of course you, you need help but it's been misdiagnosed and and that's that's a real real worry although it is changing 
it is changing slowly, it is slowly. Changing, and conversations are yeah. helping that. But in that Definitely. time, Lorraine, because you never appeared anything other than on television than positive mm. and bubbly and and how the hell you do that in the morning, I don't know. Honestly, <laughs> a few times I've been on your show or I've, even even earlier, you know, on the earlier slot, I, I get up and I think they do this every day. How, how can I not make myself do it one day? But during that time, was there ever a point where you thought to yourself, you know what, I'm just going to ride off into the sunset. I've had a great career. I can't do this anymore. I don't think it ever got as bad as that but I did feel as if I was short, in a way shortchanging the audience I did feel like that because I felt flat mm. and I really did have to kind of like we all do you know you have to get on with it and for that hour I actually did feel more like myself I could almost go into that that headspace and not think about anything else but I was really worried that I would come across as as being kind of joyless um, and well, and a, I don't think that's a think, big part of it, don't you? Think I know, I know. It was it one really of the things is. I felt that kind of feeling that nothing felt yeah, great. You know, I know it's. Meh. It's true, but I think the job saved me, if I'm honest, mm-hmm. in the same way that it saved me during this pandemic, is that every day you're getting in, you know, having your homework to do at night, you know, mm-hmm. chatting through the show, thinking about what you're going to do, coming up with ideas. That was actually an escape for me from all of the, what was going on. Sometimes I would get overwhelmed, but I would come in and do it. And it was towards the end when Steve said to me, you have to get help, that I was finding it hard to get up out of bed. I was finding it hard to get that enthusiasm for the job. And of course, you can't do it if you're not giving giving it no. your all as far as I'm concerned so I didn't that was one of the reasons I needed I needed to get help and what I found yeah. really interesting was when I finally got you know the patch to slap on my bottom it was miraculous yeah. I, it really was within the space of a couple of weeks I just felt so much better and I thought and of course I was saying to myself why did I wait so long mm. why did I not recognise this why did this sneak up on me mm. I'm supposed to be reasonably well informed about, especially about health matters especially about women's health matters mm. for the show and if it got me by surprise and, and, and you know and sort of sneaked up uh, snuck up mm. on me then it must be like that for the vast majority of women. It must be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, I, 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 you know, conversations you have with the elder women in the family, you know, obviously yes. they're very few and far between. Most people I've spoken to have hardly ever had that conversation with anybody. No. I mean, no. my sister I and I have now chatted. My mum maintains she didn't have a menopause. <laughs> well, that's a whole Mind other story. <laughs> isn't that weird? Because my mum's the same. My mum said, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. What they all talking about the menopause? We sailed in my day. you know. But I think that was because everybody felt this sense of taboo and, and almost shame, mm. which is crazy. Mm. And they just kind of maybe just soldiered on. But how many of them were having the worst possible time? Yeah. And how many of them were, you know, were, were depressed and 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 feeling bad but mm. I think somehow they just sort of I don't know they just got I think it's a bit it? like it's a bit like that kind of whole pain relief in pregnancy isn't it in childbirth yes. rather it's almost like yeah. don't, I don't, it's there take it it's, it's oh, to help you, you know are you kidding I mean it's you know when I hear people saying I never had anything think brilliant that's great for you that's great fantastic for you, for you but, but I couldn't do that it. wasn't the way I did it yeah so yeah, and, and the same thing I think applies to HRT it's that conversation is it right great that you don't want to do it but this is what's going to help me and I'm going to do this absolutely so. absolutely and yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of misconception about HRT I mean it all goes back to that study mm. um, and studies that have been done you know since then have, yeah. a, a, mm. for me you know obviously you've got to be informed of course you do mm-hmm. but for me the benefits so outweigh any small negativities and and I think if you are you know aware or you're worried about any sort of increases in things like breast cancer just check yourself mm-hmm. but get informed first because it is honestly as you know it's so life-changing it's amazing 
model-turned-special constable Penny Lancaster chatted to me about how she struggled with some of the ways her body changed around the menopause. Functional nutritionist Pippa Campbell joined us to explain why our body shape and fat-burning ability might change at this stage of life. It feels to me like in terms of your life, you know, you're very at peace with what's going on. You're you're pushing yourself into really interesting areas of life. You're not stopping. How does the whole external, I mean, you were a model, you know, Mm. and, you know, you you live in a very glamorous world. How does the whole external kind of uh, aesthetic, if you like, of ageing kind of sit with you? Well, you're obviously not suffering from the bulge because you always look so trim. Like you, like you are Miss Fitness, aren't you? But I, I've struggled since since the second child. So since I was forty, the ca- the, the calories weren't being burnt off. It just wasn't happening for me. And I mean, when I look back at the pictures of when I was pregnant, I was like a beached whale, and my breasts were. I mean, you know, men like boobs, but even Rob was like. Darling, they were gro- grotesque, absolutely grotesque. <laughs> I mean, it was huge. And, um, you know, you sort of give yourself excuses. You say, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm over 40 now. I've had two children, you know, but I'm still into my fitness and thinking, I look all right. And then suddenly the menopause happened. I turned 50 and I, I'm turning into someone else. Uh, I, I saw pictures of myself and you see yourself on TV and you just think, oh my God, my jowls, my neck. I don't have a neck a jawline now. My, my chin sort of goes into my neck. And I've always been like, had that chubbiness. And I thought, well, that's good because some people pay to put stuff know, in their face. Yeah. Stuff in their face. I don't need that. But um, yeah, my, my the one thing I've got are my legs that have always <laughs> kind of looked good. In fact, they they don't look so good when I'm skinny. But that's what I have to hold on to because the rest of me, my stomach, I literally feel like a tire has been sewn into me and I can't get rid of it. I cannot get rid of it. This is not an uncommon thing. Bingo wings. My, I, 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 yeah, it's just. Penny, this has just turned into a tirade of self-loathing, which I don't like and I'm not encouraging because... No, um, I know. That's why why I distracted myself with all this. I thought if I I start with the police, I'm going to have to be running after someone with a 10 tonne of weight strapped to my back, doing a million steps. What kind of fitness do you do? Uh, I I have a trainer that comes because I'm not good at motivating myself. A trainer that comes uh, three times a week and we do a mix of like running and rowing circuit training you know weights we do stretching so training hard Pilates. Uh, yeah train really hard I had to train hard for the fitness test for the police because you've got to do f- you know like six point on the bleep test yeah um and I'm I'm trying to do the intermittent fasting where you basically I haven't eaten today <laughs> so, <laughs> so you, see, you, start, you, see. you start eating at lunchtime and I'm trying to eat minimal things and I've, I've banned myself from chocolate. I can't stop the alcohol. I know that would help. Um, and it's just, it's just not going anywhere. Help. Uh, but do you know what? I, I think this is a really good time to bring in Pippa Campbell, actually. Yes. Um, because this is the kind of thing we're absolutely going to talk to Pippa about. Uh, good afternoon, Pippa. Hello, Hi, Pippa. how are you? Hello, very well, thank you. Because Pippa will kind of disseminate all of this, Penny, and kind of explain to you what is going on in our midlife bodies and why it is that that Penny is totally not alone. And so many women in particular find it a real struggle to kind of lose weight or they can't understand why they're putting weight on at this stage, Pippa. Absolutely, Penny. You know, you are like my average client. Most of my clients are in their 40s and 50s, women 
who many of them say, well, you know, my diet has been really good, but all of a sudden I'm gaining tummy fat. I've got, you know, suddenly this tummy fat. I always used to be slim and um, they haven't changed their diet. So this is literally something that is happening overnight. So what I explained to them is, so, so when you go into perimenopause, as we know, our hormones sort of all over the place, Progesterone is actually the first hormone to start dropping. So then suddenly we have this estrogen which is sort of almost the same. Well, actually, it sort of it can surge. It can get, we get highs and lows, and the progesterone is dropping. We get suddenly this estrogen dominance that in itself can cause weight gain, and then estrogen which is going up and it's going down. Estrogen is the one that controls insulin. Now insulin is what controls how much you know sugars we can metabolize. So suddenly those carbohydrates that we were eating for that piece of toast for breakfast, we just can't deal with that anymore. And it's turning to fat. So imagine then when you go to menopause and then estrogen's dropping as well, then it's so much harder than to suddenly metabolize these sugars and carbohydrates. So it's really unfair, isn't it? You look very, very fit, may I say. Look at your shoulders and your arms. I'm very she's a living. She's a living testament. How old are you, Pippa? Well, I'm 48. And this is a really interesting um, you know, time, obviously, for me. So I think, well, how old are you, Penny? I'm 50. I turned 50 in, in March, March. And I think I'm in, I don't know what stage it is, but the doctor said you can't take any um, hormone replacements at HRT until you've had 12 months without your period. Is that true? Oh, right. Okay. Well, don't get me onto this topic. So it, it is, doctors obviously will say, they're not necessarily trained in the menopause. So they will say quite different things, I have to say. So I've got many clients who are still getting their periods and are on HRT. And I'll have women who haven't had their periods for 12, periods for 12 months, which means you're officially in menopause and they are on HRT. But the problem is, is that women will be coming to me and it's maybe they're saying it's the tummy fat or they can't sleep as well or they get brain fog. Because the problem is we have estrogen and progesterone receptors all over the body. So when we have hormonal imbalances, so these hormones are suddenly, you know, all over the place, dropping or ups and downs, every single organ could be affected. So it may not be suddenly irregular periods. That, that would be a classic. So then somebody might know, oh, I'm perimenopausal. That might not be the first sign. It could be that suddenly somebody's suffering with anxiety because progesterone helps support a neurotransmitter called GABA, which is, sounds quite cool. I know it's sort of a music word, but actually it's an, our anti-anxiety neurotransmitter. So I was going to say, when, when we started the lockdown, the first, when we, we were all terrified, weren't we? This, this kind of plague that was, that was attacking us all. And that was March last year. I was in Florida and I was waking up with hot sweats. Yeah. My first thought was, I've got covid and oh my gosh, I touched the children yesterday and like I slept with my husband. Yeah. Like, I'm thinking, oh, I'm passing it on to everybody. I was terrified. But then I was on top of the bed fighting this heat off. And then I got freezing cold and got yeah. back under the sheets. And then it was like a yo-yo all night long, hot, cold, hot, cold. Then it just twigged. I haven't had a period for two months Oh my gosh! And that's what it was. And every and you feel the heat rising from your feet, up your body, like you you were like stepping into a a furnace, and and you get to the point where you just think I can't possibly get any hotter because I'll explode. Yeah. And then you calm down, and then you get like I would never sweat sitting still. You 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 perspray on your yeah, forehead just it sitting comes out still. Of and then, of course, uh, the anxiety of the of COVID anyway. And then f three months later, I got another period. I was like, oh, 
and then I felt different in my body again. I, and, and then it's and then it's uh, stopped again. And it got to one point where during the lockdown, my anxiety of like cooking every day and doing the homeschooling and all of that stuff, I just had a meltdown. And I, I remember I had a plate of chicken pies and I just threw them across the kitchen and screamed and they smashed against the wall. And I had floods of tears, Rod rushed the boys off and then they came back one by one and hugged me and said, sorry, mummy, we understand and all this because dad was trying to like make them <laughs> realize that I'm scared for hard, you know, but hormonal moment as well as dealing with the lockdown. So it was, um, well, you feel overwhelmed. Well. Women say they feel suddenly really overwhelmed and they feel very irritable and the rage as well. So, and sometimes it's the husbands actually that notice something that's going on first. So, so there are lots of things that are being affected, but this weight gain is a really common problem and there are things we can do about it. Pippa's got a brilliant website and suggests lots of different foods and, and recipes and, and actually does bespoke, I should just declare, does bespoke kind of uh, nutritional programs for people. Um, and I did a bit of work with Pippa recently on that. And actually what amazed me was how easy it is, Penny, to... But we did this cutting out of various things, you know, in the diet and how easy if the recipes are interesting, you can kind of follow something mm. for a couple of weeks. And I felt really good um, off the back of it because I just felt that yeah. kind of needing to. I need you, Pippa. Can you come and move in, please? <laughs> <laughs> I'll come and move in. I would say, you know, there's some really sort of just easy tips for everyone, on, simple then. things to start now. And what I would say, so I'm talking about this inability to be able to deal with those carbohydrates now. So the one thing I would say, and, it, you know, it is a bit unfair. Fair, but I would say that women of our age really need to cut back on their carbohydrates and replace those carbohydrates with loads of vegetables because we just can't deal with them as much. So that's one thing. I probably would say the evening meal gets some carbohydrates in. I, would, I wouldn't say no carbohydrates. I think women tend to need some carbohydrates, so a little bit of sweet potato or rice or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I think getting really more of those vegetables in and try and see whether you actually do better having a protein breakfast and not fasting. So so try trial and error because um, unfortunately with all our hormones, it's never just estrogen and progesterone. They all kind of work together. It's like imagine an orchestra. If the violin isn't play, you know, isn't putting its weight, it's going to affect the rest of the instruments. They're going to have to work harder. So with estrogen and progesterone, then it's going to affect things like insulin, which is our fat storage hormone. And then it's going to affect things like our adrenals, which is the stress hormones. We don't want to stress our body out too much. And sometimes too long a fast can do that. And then thyroid as well. They all work together. So I always think it's good for women to go and get a good... I've got an underactive thyroid. Okay. So now you might find then that this is coming into play a little bit more. You're on thyroxine, which is T4. It's one of our thyroid hormones. But I would also get your T3 checked regularly to make sure that you are converting that T4 to T3. Now, T3 is just another thyroid hormone, but it's um, our, like our fat storage one. It's our active hormone. So if you're not converting the thyroxine, which is T4 that you're taking, to T3, then that means then you're less able to burn fat. Because when everything, when the thyroid slows down, everything slows down. So women suddenly say that they're getting constipated they, yes. and gallbladder issues, everything starts slowing down. And can I just say, what's really interesting to me is how individual all of our hormonal journeys are. And this is yeah. why I feel it's so important to speak out and say to women, go to the doctor. And if you don't get the answer you want the first time, go see another doctor. Because as, I, as I've said many times before, it horrified me to learn that most doctors are not trained for one hour in the menopause. 
Only until very recently did they get any training. So the chances are you'll, you'll chance upon a doctor who really hasn't done any training on the menopause. Yeah, keep pushing until you get one that does. Yeah. It might be that it's a woman GP that you need, you know, that keep pushing until you go to her. I do think there's a lot to be said about sharing our experiences of the menopause with one another. Hopefully those days of suffering in silence are well and truly behind us. Please remember to share this episode with anyone you think might need it. And I also recommend Lorraine Candy's book, Davina McCall's book, and Mariella Frostrop, who's also been on The Midpoint, has written an excellent book about menopause. Thank you to all my amazing guests who made this episode possible. Remember, you can listen back to any of those chats in full wherever you usually listen to us. Thank you also to Spiritland Productions and, of course, to you for listening. I'll be back next Wednesday with something new for you, so I hope you can join me then. Bye-bye for now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.